Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Well, this morning we have a special speaker. So would you put your hands together for Dominic this morning? How's it going? It's an incredible opportunity to be able to preach the word. Amen? I actually asked to preach today. I, uh, my name is Dominic Flores, El Primero, which means the first. And uh, I am a deacon here, I lead the men's ministry, and I'm over the prayer team ministry, and I had a conversation with Pastor Raul recently, and he said, you know, what, what do you see yourself, what do you see yourself doing? And I told him that I had something in my heart that I wanted to preach, uh, a message that was stirring in me. And he looked at his calendar real quick, and he said, well, there's an opportunity on June 24th. And I said, sign me up, right, naturally. Have you ever had a serious lapse in judgment? <laughs> Have you ever signed yourself up for something and then instantly regretted opening your big mouth? <laughs> I asked my wife the other day, I said, um, you know, what did I get myself into? And she said, I believe exactly her words were, I don't know, you're crazy. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like it is something that, uh, that I think is important that I share. But the, the second I volunteered for it, I began to think about all the ways I'm not qualified to preach a message. I, well, let me, let me explain myself. I'm not specifically, you know, or especially knowledgeable about the Bible. I read the Bible, but, you know, there's all these terms like exegesis and eisegesis and hermeneutics that these amazing scholars will get into, and I, I like blank, you know, when it comes to those type of things. Uh, you know, I, I may be bold in terms of speaking, but I'm not necessarily a, a great speaker. And the other thing is that I'm not really that spiritual, uh, I'll, I'll have times of worship that'll look something like this. I'll be, I'll be singing a song and, you know, just stirring myself up. And I'll be like, you know, all my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday's gone. Are you serious? You just gave up three runs in the bottom of the ninth? You know, I'm, t- I'm just telling you, I'm being honest with you because I think it's important that we have a, a, a level starting ground. <laughs> you know, it's the truth, though. My thought life, my choices, and the way I choose to spend my time point a finger at me and say, unqualified. And, and unfortunately, I agree with that if it were up to me in my own abilities. Fortunately, God isn't so much interested in my abilities as he is my availability. Amen. And I believe that I have a word today that will encourage you, and I believe it will also challenge you. And uh, I hope that you would just listen in and and just pray that the Lord would uh, open up your hearts to receive. My message today is entitled, The Life of the Believer. I remember when I first gave my life to the Lord, I was on fire for God. I was overwhelmed by His affection and acceptance. Years of my life were overrun by anger and shame. It seemed that every bad decision... And every destructive pattern began to suffocate me and steal any kind of hope that I might have had. And then Jesus became real to me. My life was literally brand new. 
I had this joy inside of me that was so contagious, and it seemed like my problems even disappeared. I had rage issues, and the things that I struggled with would just go away. I remember just driving in traffic and just being so angry all the time, and that was instantly gone in my life. It was incredible. I, I became more tolerable to my friends as well. I had a friend that told me, you know, I don't necessarily agree with what you're talking about, but there's no doubt in my mind that there's a consistency to your life right now. There's a, there's a levelness. There's a stability that's never been there before. I think that's a great testament to the power of God in the life of, some, of a believer. Amen? Amen? But then something strange happened. Uh, after this time of... of intensity, this time of inspired living, I started to tumble backwards, back down to earth. The bad choices that I had made, the wrong connections I had made over the years started to catch up to me. The collection agencies that I owed money to obviously didn't realize I had gotten saved or something. (laughs) They continued to harass me constantly. The years I had spent developing bad character and bad habits started to catch up to me. And all of a sudden, I was drowning again. I had isolated myself. So even though I was in the church, I never made any real connections, any deep connections. I, was, I felt like I was drowning, and I was thrown into the deep end of the pool. I felt like God was saying, sink or swim. And, and I feel like he's the one. I, I remember saying it at that time. I feel like he just pushed me in and said, take care of it. You know, handle it yourself. And the thing is, I was used to that in my life because I felt like at every, at every intersection of my life, it was always like, figure it out. Do it. I remember saying all the time, like one of, my, one of my favorite sayings was build a bridge and get over it, right? Just get after it. Just go do it. I, I couldn't though. I, I realized that I couldn't do it in that moment. I couldn't do anything right. I was frustrated, stuck in the same pattern over and over again. And then I began to get depressed and I began to think that, you know, maybe, maybe things are just better off without me. You know, everyone would just go on living their own life, even if I was gone, right? I mean, probably wouldn't even notice. And I began to, to wallow, and I began to fall into this depression. I'm going to take a step back for a second to talk about something um, that I think is important. It's an encounter that we have with God, the time when God made himself real to you. If you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the day that you were adopted into the family of God. You were headed one way, and God intervened in your life, flipped it upside down, and you were accepted Amen? It was a unique experience in your life. You remember the day, hopefully you remember that day when God became real to you. Your sin was exposed to you, and you called on Jesus to save you, and he came in and he rescued you. Amen? Amen. The message is called The Life of the Believer because I believe that every Christian will be able to identify with certain things that I'm saying, including this specific thing that we we were created, and then God... Jesus, the creator of the universe, came down and he met with us, amen, and he rescued us and he set us free so that we can live with him and worship him for eternity. I think that's powerful. But maybe you're sitting there and you don't identify with what I just said. Maybe you're not a Christian and you're just, you know, casually uh, kind of exploring these things that I'm talking about. Maybe you were invited to church today or you just happened to drop by and you're just kind of seeing what things are all about in the church and maybe you're even a little bit skeptical. Or maybe you've been going to church for a long time, but you can't 
necessarily point a finger to that time, that encounter that you had with God, that moment in your life where the magnitude of the gospel became real to you and it wrecked you. Maybe that's foreign to you. That's a foreign concept. But I think it's important to understand that regardless of your position, intellectually, the starting point of the believer is the understanding of the depravity of the heart of man and its desperate need for a savior. Not that having an intellectual understanding of it is going to get you any closer to God, but it's important to kind of understand where we're coming from. I remember reading the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and he says that he quotes this in that that book. He says, Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness, but it has nothing to say to those people who don't feel as though they need to repent or that they need to receive forgiveness. In other words, if you are good enough by your own works, why would you need a savior, much less one that you'd have to serve forever? I knew a Christian guy who told me one time, I was in a conversation with him, and he said, no, I don't understand the whole grace thing. He said, I grew up in a good home. I had a good family, parents that loved me. I I went to church all the time. I, I tried to be obedient. I tried not to lie. I just live a good life, and I feel like I'm a good person And he said, you know what, Dom, I I could see in your life how you might have this perspective on grace, um, but I don't see it. I don't get it. I was really, really stunned by that. I mean, there's no doubt that I have a great appreciation for God's grace. There's no doubt. My life was a wreck. Let me tell you, growing up, I mean, my life was handicapped from the start. Some of you know my testimony. My father took his own life in jail when I was a young boy. Uh, Two weeks later, our house burned down to the ground. My mom... She actually surprised me by showing up today. She's right here. It's, it's incredible. Thank you. My mom had to work extra, you know, overtime just to support our family. I'll tell you what, Mom, if I haven't said thank you enough and, and sorry enough for what I put you through, I just want to express that to you. But while my mom was working and, and providing a life for us, My brothers and my sister and I were abused by the family that were entrusted to take care of us. You know, by the time I was 13, I was already just heavily into alcohol and and drugs. And I left the home at 15, and my life began to spiral out of control. The hurt and the brokenness and the frustration and the shame overwhelmed me. So when God encountered me, when, when he rescued me, You know, I have an appreciation for grace that no one will ever take from me. Amen? And so there's no doubt about the fact that his grace is real. And so I was stunned for this man to tell me that he didn't understand grace. And I didn't really understand it at first. I'm trying to to grasp what he means by that. Because here's my thoughts on this. What what is he trying to say? What is a person trying to say exactly? That they believe that they're, they're righteous. They believe that they're good apart from from God's intervention into their lives. This is interesting. This is interesting because God is a perfect judge, and he's going to judge all unrighteousness. He's going to judge every evil thought, every action, every lie, every theft. And do we really think that we can be justified in our own efforts? I mean, do we really have that kind of idea? I mean, you could be try to be good, but the reality is we fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to sin. We're all going to be held accountable. It's interesting because a lot of people have this approach that, you know, God's going to accept me as I am. 
You know, he's a loving and a merciful God, and he forgives. Those things are true. But let me tell you something. What I'm about to say right now isn't something that that you can put a broad stroke on. This isn't something that applies to everyone. But some people who have that view, essentially what they're saying is this. God, you came down to the world. Sin had infected your creation, and and death had overtaken it. And what transpired is that you had to come down and die a violent death so we can be rescued and forgiven of our sins. But I'm just going to continue doing whatever makes me feel good. As though the sin that they commit is inconsequential, but other people's sin is, is extravagant, extravagant and grave. I mean, do you understand the, the flaw to this, this logic? It doesn't make any sense to me. We really need to see our sin for what it is. If you acknowledge that God is perfect and that his standard for us is perfection, and if we're honest with ourselves that although God is a loving God, that he will judge us for our sins, then he's not going to let us slide just because we're human and to err is human. If we would begin to see the tip of the iceberg when it comes for our need, uh, to our need for a savior. If you've ever had a glimpse of God's righteousness and compared it against the wickedness of our own heart, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I pray my kids will grow up to understand this. I hope that they never feel that they have to earn favor with God by trying to be good. You see, my kids aren't going to have my testimony, amen? I mean, they're going to come up in a home with a father and a mother who love them and support them. They're going to have a wholesome environment where, you know, we're encouraging them to ask questions and to know the Lord. I mean, by his grace, they're going to grow up to be well-balanced children. The problem is that they live with me, of course. (laughs) But... But you know what? Uh, I heard a woman tell me one time, I was, I was kind of talking about how I feel like I'm failing my kids in certain ways, and she said, you know, it's a good thing to fail your kids, otherwise they won't need Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm starting to understand a little bit what, uh, what she was saying. But how about the other side of things? How about a, a life that was protected? I mean, maybe your story is so much different than mine. It's the, it's the opposite of mine. You identify, identify more with a uh, wholesome upbringing. Uh, What helps give that kind of perspective to you? I heard a story a while back, and I'm going to share it with you. It goes something like this. A man had to navigate a treacherous piece of highway every day on his way to work. There were potholes and bumpy lanes. Debris and foreign objects littered the roadways, and traffic blew by by in both directions, narrowly avoiding head-on collisions. One day on the way to work, a man swerved out of the way of an oncoming car, and he hit a pothole. He overcorrected and lost control of the vehicle and rolled several times only to land all four wheels on the shoulder. He quickly checked himself for injuries, and after finding everything to be okay, he continued on to work. When he arrived at the job, he excitedly told anyone who would listen about his close encounter with death. One of the men listened intently, and afterwards he pulled him aside and he said, Listen, I've been driving on that same road for 30 years. I've never had so much as a scratch. Someone needs to talk about the keeping power of God in our lives. Amen? If your life has been guarded, if it has been sheltered and preserved from so many wicked things, don't take it for granted. I would never wish my testimony on someone else. And it's a joke to think that you would have want to walk in my shoes. That's why the comedian, Tim Hawkins, if you're familiar with him, he, says, he jokes, he laments about not having a good testimony. He says, you know, why wasn't I addicted to crack? Thanks a lot, God. You know, 
And it's so foolish and it's so silly because the reality is, is that you wouldn't want to walk through those things. You wouldn't want to live that kind of life. But, you know, we might see someone who has a zeal for God and just a real passion for him and, and know about the testimony, like a, a horrible testimony like myself, and think it's the, pro- the product of a treacherous life, but it would be mistaken to think that God is any less magnificent and sovereign over your life. For God to break in on a self-righteous and impenitent heart is equally as incredible, and such a heart can come from anywhere. Glorify God for preserving your life and drawing you to himself. If you recognize that sin is sin, then we'll be able to come full circle and see our mutual starting point, being estranged from God and then being redeemed. I think we should all be able to appreciate the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. For me, it sounds something like this. I personally made a mess of my life and squandered away all my possessions. I partied hard and spent myself to ruin. I made every wrong turn in the book and I rejected God to his face. I relate to the son in that moment where he, with his tail between his legs, decides to return to the father's house. He already has a plan about how he's going to come in and he's going to, you know, sit at the lowest place. He's going to accept whatever punishment that he rightfully deserves. You know, what floors me every time, though, is the father's response. His dad looks up and sees him in a distance and begins to run after him. This is so wrong in their culture. But the father hikes up his robe and begins to pursue the son. And the son is ready to give all these excuses and all this elaborate apologies and, you know, with a contrite spirit about, oh, I'm so wrong. And the father embraces him, takes him into his arms and embraces him, which represents forgiveness. He puts a ring on his finger, which says, you belong to this family. He clothes him with righteousness. He puts a robe on him. He celebrates by killing a fattened calf. And and it declares to everyone, forgiven, renewed. I just think that's such a powerful story and a powerful illustration of the love that the father has for his sons and his daughters. I think we all arrive at this place of redemption from different backgrounds, but I believe that certain things naturally follow out of this. I want to I talk about that. I want to talk about what the life of the believer is. That's why I've titled it as such, because I feel like there, there's that common ground where we're, we're apart from God, and then he wrecks us. And we go through this stage where we're alive in him, and then life settles in, and we have to live out this salvation. We have to live out the call of God in our lives. We have to live out what it actually means to be a Christian, where love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all these characteristics of God flow out of our lives. That's the next step. And so I really appreciate what Pastor Doug has been teaching us these last few weeks. He's really illustrated for us the truth that our awareness of sin and the separation from God that comes with it, salvation and redemption, And then ultimately our life and our empowered life uh, comes from God. He pursues us, he saves us, and he empowers us to live. Amen? Amen. When I was at my lowest place and the weight of the world was on my shoulders, I ran away. I couldn't handle it. I ran as far as I could. I ended up in Spain. I was drinking and, and partying out there. I flew to Amsterdam. And I remember there was this one time I was in Amsterdam And I was just kind of dejected. I didn't know what I was doing or where I was going. And I just felt that there was this real darkness over that city with uh, legalized drugs and prostitution and the people that go there to indulge themselves. I was looking at the people and I was thinking to myself, how could a Christian actually live in this type of environment? 
And right as I'm thinking that, I look up, and at the top of a building right there outside of Dam Square, there's a sign, it's a banner that says, Jesus loves you. It was so amazing, it was so powerful to me, and it really changed my thinking. Shortly after that, I, I returned back to the United States, and I, and I went to live with my parents in Oregon. And my stepdad, David, uh, who had given his life to the Lord and had, uh, had really matured in his faith, began to mentor me and began to speak into my life. And, and God used him to really set me on this path to pursue God. And something changed in my heart, and I had a life, a life statement after that. I left there sober. Uh, from drugs and alcohol, and with a, a, this statement that I would say everywhere I went, there's nothing for me outside of the will of God for my life. There's nothing for me. I tried everything, and it left me bankrupt and hungry and empty. My true life as a, as a believer, as one that was not walking the fence anymore, had begun. One that recognized that there's nothing for me, that I have, that this is the, God, the call of God on my life. He set me free. There's nothing else that will ever give me any kind of gratification apart from God's will for my life. I used to ask people this question, and I still do from time to time, because I think as, as I've been preaching, and, and this is where I'm leading us, is the character and the life of the believer after that, uh, that touch from the Lord. I ask this question to people. I say, what, uh, what would someone say about you if they followed you around? for a month, and you didn't know about it. They just watched your life. They observed your life, your words, your actions. Without, without you know, you having to tell them what good, how good of a Christian you are, what would they say about you? That life flows out of you? That love flows out of you? That forgiveness? Holiness? What would they say about you as a Christian? Would your lifestyle betray the image that you try to project? I think this is important. We have to evaluate ourselves. We have to look and, and see. And I want to be clear about something. I'm not up here telling you that I've got it all figured out either. I'm not like the great Mexican hope or anything. <laughs> it's true. I, I mean, I ask my wife, ask my kids, you know, my coworkers that work with me every day. No, actually, don't ask them. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There should be something evident in the life of the believer. There should be something of, a, of quality that people would point to and say, you can see this in his life. Love and peace flow out of him naturally. I want to look at uh, Galatians 5.22. If we could put it on the screens. Galatians 5.22 talks about what the fruit of God's Holy Spirit is. And you see, as Christians, we have the Spirit of God living in us. Amen? It dwells in us. And so, therefore, it would produce certain characteristics in us. And look what it says. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I miss goodness, but those things are qualities that would be produced in the life of the believer. Is there any reason why it wouldn't? Is there any reason why it wouldn't be cultivated in the life of the believer? No, absolutely not. Now, we're all in different places when it comes to our walk with God, and some of us come from a really broken background, and, you know, we're not comparing each other. And I'm, not, I'm certainly not trying to compare any of us to each other, but when fruit is growing on a tree, we recognize it, and we see it even as a small fruit, and then it begins to grow until it's fully formed. Someone should be able to recognize the fruit that is on your tree, amen, if you've been filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus said in Colossians three twelve through 15, he said that the world would know us 
for the, uh, I'm sorry, that's not where it says that. Colossians 3.15 says something else. But it says that uh, the world will know us for the love that we have for one another. But Colossians 3.15 says this. Paul is talking and he says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. I believe that the life of the believer will culminate in godly character and a compassionate heart. Is that who you are today, Christian? Is that who you aspire to be? You know, I told you earlier that you might be challenged today, and I want you to to really wrestle with these things because I feel like if you're in the church for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and what flows out of you is self-righteousness or negativity or anger or frustration and you try to justify that, I think you've missed something. I think it's important that not for appearance sake because that doesn't matter what people think about you in a sense but for the fact that God is inside you and is doing something his word doesn't return void. He's operating in you and he's creating in you a clean heart. Amen? Amen? I know if the sermon ended up right now, I think some of you might be a little bit bummed out. I had a friend that used to always go around saying, man, I suck at life. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's a horrible statement. But I think if you look at your Christian life and, and as I'm talking, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm failing in this area. Don't, uh, don't be discouraged. I think that there's something that we're going to talk about right now that's going to help to encourage you. I think it's the key element of the life of the believer. And to me, it's my absolute favorite part. Did you know that in the Bible, Paul says the words in him 164 times? In Christ is what he's referring to. In Christ. He says uh, it, it, it turns out that our whole life is found in Christ. I think this is really good. I want to look at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. It's a little bit long of a text, and, and I'm going uh, to go through it pretty quickly. Uh, I think you can unpack this and spend weeks on this text, um, but my intent is this, that we would look at the language of what's being shared. Look at this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and glory of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Listen to this. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance 
until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So it turns out that in him we live and we move and we have our being. In him we are chosen and set apart. In him and apart from any of our efforts, we were redeemed. In him we are sanctified and called to good works. And in him we live each day as ambassadors for Christ. Look at this. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't it good to know it's not up to us? For anyone who has said that Christianity is too hard, too many rules, too many expectations, I think they've missed it. They've put faith in themselves and their own abilities and set themselves up for failure. We should love and care for a broken world. I think these things are important. We should have a heart for the lost and look for ways to serve in our community. There should be clear evidence in the life of the believer that God is working in your heart. But don't think for a second that you're going to be able to accomplish this on your own. The life of the believer always finds itself in Christ. I remember in worship uh, a few weeks ago, I was looking up at the sky and I was thinking how amazing the galaxies and the stars were. It was so immense. And I was thinking, wow, this is incredible. And then at the same moment, I realized how dangerous it is, how perilous it is. If you go up there unprotected, it will just smother you, right? And then I began to think about the ocean and its, its depth and how beautiful and how immense it is, and yet how it will just crush you and destroy you. A couple days later, I'm with my kids, and we're looking at these horses, and these horses, uh, they probably weren't stallions, but they were, just, they were just muscular and beautiful and magnificent. And I had the same thought, like, wow, God, you created all these things, and yet how perilous could it be if that horse decides to buck you, and it snorts, and it tramples you? And I thought to myself, you know what? God, you created everything. You control everything. The world, the universe is in your hands. How much more is my life in your hands? How much more have you protected me and covered me and and restored me? I just was so blessed by that because I realized that everything is in him. Christ is our life support system. He draws us to himself and then he lifts us up. I think it's so powerful because even as we reject him, He pursues us and he loves us. There's no one else, no other worldview, no other system of thought that would ever come close to that. Think about it. Think about it. Jesus is the only one. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Amen? When I was young, I remember my mom used to sing this song. I'm not sure where she got it for, but it went something like this. It said, uh, he didn't take us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build a home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. Amen? Come on, it was so simple, and yet I remember it. From the, from the time I was a little kid, I remember it. God is good. You know, I want to encourage you, as I close this message with something, I want to encourage you with the fact that God is at work in your life. If you're a believer and you're discouraged because you're not seeing the fruit, you're not seeing, maybe you've been praying and you've been just pursuing God and right relationship with him, but things just aren't working out or turmoil turmoil, or uh, just frustrations are abounding in your life. I think you should know something that God who, 
who brought you to this place is going to be faithful to accomplish the work that he started in you. And he's begin to, to move on you, and he's going to begin to give you life. And when, when I sit up here, my, my, my conversations a lot of times sound like the other side of it. No, Christian, you need to go out, and you need to serve and lay your life down and give hope to a broken world. And that you don't just stumble into maturity in the Christian faith. You don't just stumble into it. It is a life that God is producing in us. And yes, we do have some things that we need to do, right? We need to uh, pursue uh, the word. We need to read the word and be in prayer. But don't be mistaken. God is at work within you. He is drawing you to himself. He is making you alive in him, giving you a hope and a peace and a joy so that you can go out, so that you can lay your life down, so that you can go out and minister to the streets of Moses Lake and not be fearful. Not that you're going to be a a preacher or anything like that, but your day-to-day tasks in your workplace, anywhere that you go, you can share the love of God with other people. Amen? Come on, it's it's a fruit. It's cultivated and produced in your life because of what God has done. Amen? So the starting point for God's people is different. We all come from different places. But amidst the universality of sin and the longing and the human heart for justice, God intervenes. He redeems us and sets us free. We're made alive in him and are no longer bound to the destructive entanglements of this world. We become his ambassadors to a fallen planet. Our identity becomes love and reconciliation. It's a reflection not only of who we are, but of whose we are. Amen? We pursue righteousness, peace, and joy. And we're able to do this because we're empowered by the Spirit of God that dwells inside of us. We're more than conquerors, not just because we say it, but because His Word is true and it abides in us. He has given us all that we need to live victorious and abundant lives. Amen? I mean, I would hate to say that you can simplify Christianity, but it really isn't up to us, is it? If anything, we look at our lives and we can easily disqualify ourselves, and that's the thing that I did the whole week, the whole two weeks leading up to this, how I'm not qualified. And yet, it isn't up to me. Amen? It's not up to you. 